Hi, welcome to Word with Dave Clay and Sam Clay. I'm back again. <laughs> you are. They've not either kicked you off, right? The, of angry, the podcast. The angry listeners haven't kicked and, me off. And, yet. And yeah, that's what I was gonna say. And it's not really up to me. It's up to our listeners. They're not. They're not too angry yet with me. According to Psychology Today, our trusty source. Yeah, I think it's a great resource. This one's a little older, oh, okay. June of 2018, uh, but I not, think it's not too old, not I too think old. it's still very relevant. Yes. According to an article in Psychology Today, June of 2018, the all or nothing trap. Under the weight of anxiety or self-doubt, thinking about one's life in absolute terms has the potential to make things worse. An absolutist thinking style results in making irrational judgments. No one will ever love me, exaggerating difficulties and placing rigid, unrealistic demands on oneself and others, explains Muhammad A. Masawi, a Ph.D. student to psychology at the University of Reading. While some mental health issues have been associated with negative language, Al Masawi and colleagues report that the use of absolutist words could be a more subtle signature of depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation, among other problems. And analysts of the online forums for people dealing with these conditions shows that visitors tend to use words such as everyone, always, and nothing more than visitors in other forums. Even depression recovery forums, which contain relatively positive messages, feature a greater proportion of these words. The findings provide evidence that absolutist language and perhaps all or nothing thinking, a target of cognitive therapy, uniquely reflects multiple forms of distress. To challenge their absolutist beliefs and ideas, people first have to identify them. Almaswami notes. That's where noticing these words can be extremely beneficial. And this is Denise St. Orc, who um, pretty much that was kind of a, a summary of, uh, I'm sure, the findings or at least the uh, report, the all or nothing trap. So, as is typical on our program, Sam. Yes, yeah, very typical. I get to ask you the question. Oh, I'm so lucky. I'm such a lucky guy. Do you guy. think, well, this one I'll, I'll allow you to be a bit okay. more personal, okay. personable or personal. Sounds good. Do you ever think in such absolutist sort of terms? I really don't know. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. I wouldn't say I think in absolutist terms, really. I don't really know. I think that's part of the problem. Once you get into a pattern of thinking, it becomes harder and more difficult to differentiate maybe from normal thought. Uh, and I suppose it's because there's a progressive element to it. So when people start to move off of more normal thinking, which, you know, what is that? It's probably certainly not, in context of this article, absolutist, but more normal thoughts, probably a more balanced perspective at the very minimum, might be more positive. But when you start to move off of whatever your normal is, or hopefully the normal is closer to what is really, in terms of the general population normal, you're maybe not going to recognize that because it takes a while to get to such extremes. But I do think that 
what happens is somewhere along the way, a person does fall into the trap of thinking of things as either all good or all bad. We also call that binary thinking because there's two extremes, two points. That's the by part of it. So, so as much as you may not be aware, how would one then, maybe if they're having that kind of thought, how would you recognize? How would someone begin to recognize they may be thinking in all or nothing sort of terms? I feel like when you're thinking in like all or nothing terms, I feel like you just get way like too extreme for one side or the other side. Like you could just be, for example, just like so worried about just like all the bad things that could happen. You don't even think of like what just normal happens most of the time or just like you're so excited for something that you can only think of the good things and not the bad things of like an outcome or situation. Well, and I think that in and of itself could be part of the dynamic because when you start to think of things maybe in those terms, you seem to automatically set yourself up either for something to be a complete success or a complete failure, which kind of means perfectionistic. Now, I don't know, again, if this is kind of, uh, this sort of thinking is, goes along the lines of obsessive compulsive. Uh, when it comes to clinical conditions and, and uh, disorders, people who are obsessive compulsive do tend to think in perfectionistic terms. Uh, most of the obsessive compulsive disorder thoughts are very negative. But in terms of a personality disorder that's obsessive compulsive, and there's a difference between those two. Perfectionism, in this sort of way that we're describing it, is one of the personality traits. So it is a paradigm or a way that people come to view themselves and their life. But it seems to me, once you begin to see it this way, if it is a personality dynamic or part of a personality, uh, the dynamic is, then you're probably automatically setting yourself up for failure. Negativism, because obviously what's the point? Nothing is perfect. Yeah, you just try, I feel like if you can try, or if someone ends up trying so, so hard to just have everything be perfect, it's just, it's very hard to do that. And there's no balance. It's probably, could be easily like, said. As we were saying earlier, yeah, you just get so far to one side. It's, it's unrealistic. Just, yeah. So if you tend to think that way, <laughs> either you or someone listening to the podcast, you're probably going to fall into this all or nothing trap. Uh, the article, or I guess the, uh, the summary, kind of gives us some specifics too. Uh, no one will ever love me, exaggerating difficulties, placing rigid, unrealistic demands on oneself or others. Uh, words like never, if that's in your vocabulary, ever or always, that's probably going to be a sign or are signs that you may be inclined to think this way. I also think that the study sort of suggests that if you're depressed or anxious, you may be also at risk, even if you're not personality driven in that way to perfection or perfectionism, obsessive compulsive personality traits. Depression and anxiety probably do tend to also create certainly the negative sort of perspective 
everything is always bad or nothing turns out well for me or nobody loves me or the world is always too difficult or I can never succeed, those kind of thoughts. Yeah, it's just that extreme again, getting back to the, the idea of that extreme from one extreme to the other. If in depression, for example, you get so far just as everything's just awful and it's just there's no good in much of anything. It's just you get so just to the downside of everything that you can't have that balance. And while we're talking about normal and again that balance, that idea of balance in that uh, or a more even positive frame of reference, it's not that we're saying that there's not occasions that probably all of us, again at some time or another, have thought uh, bad luck, things are going really bad for me, things are going to, I can't catch a break, those kind of thoughts. But when you get into a clinical depression, it's probably because there's been a number of circumstances or with that stress from life demands, uh, again, just the biochemistry of depression too. Maybe it isn't so situationally or circumstantially driven. Maybe you're just, it's called endogenous, but maybe there's a genetic predisposition for you to become depressed or lean toward depression. But it begins to flavor everything, and with that, then once you begin to think negatively, then it changes how you interact with the world. And that really is kind of where cognitive therapies come in, is because if you start thinking negatively, it doesn't do anything but accentuate the negatives as they come. You're expecting negatives. And then with that, you start to think in, that, in such a regard that you can kind of start to bring about negative things in your life. Can you imagine any examples of what that might look like if you start to get into that trap of thinking negatively? Well, I feel like an example would be just, um, for example, uh, school, for example. Say you go to, uh, for example, like a math class or something, and you, uh, you have your first quiz, and then you don't do so good on it. You're like, oh, okay, that's not very good. Well it can only get worse from here so you you try your hardest on the next one but it still goes bad you just keep you stay in that negative like tunnel of just oh I can't get any better I'm just doomed I can't do anything to make this better uh, in our business and again from a clinical standpoint counseling psychology in my business what that really is oftentimes referred to is a self-fulfilling prophecy you get it in your mind, in your head, that you're going to fail, and then you look for failure, and as much as you look for failure, you can certainly find plenty of evidence of how things may or may not go the way you expected them to, or maybe in that may or may not, they turn out to be more not than they do. And then all of a sudden you're starting to respond to the world around you, expecting or anticipating, which changes how you interact with the world. That may be the stressors, the situations and circumstances that represent stress or have stress attached to them, could be the people. But if you start to think in those, like failure in the exam, uh, you were, as you were using that as an example, once you begin to think that way, you can actually begin to create more of the same. It just makes it easier and easier to do. I must not be smart. I never do well on these exams. I didn't do good on the last one. What makes me think I'll do good on the next one? But if you have that paradigm going into a situation that's already kind it, of got the, some stress uh, attached to it or might be a little challenging, you might be inclined to go ahead and give in or give up. 
which again is sort of that notion of quitting. And I'm pretty sure that the only certain way to fail is if you give in and give up, if you quit. Yeah, you just, the only way to really give up, I'd say, is just, you say, oh, I can't do this, there's no point in trying, it's over, I can't do it, there's just nothing left, I can't do it. Simple words. And, and even as much then the, the article references or speaks of cognitive therapies, cognitive behavioral therapies, uh, that really is what a psychotherapist will end up doing is trying to identify, as we are, a negative pattern of thinking. They'll try to assist the person to see where they've moved off of a normal, or at least they try to establish what was normal as a baseline for reference and where they are now, and will begin to challenge them kind of in the ways that we've set up the parameters in our discussion on the podcast today. Uh, is that a very realistic view? Is it flavored with maybe past experiences of failure? Maybe you're feeling depressed. I haven't mentioned anxiety. The article did. But I'm not uh, specifically referenced it since I read it a moment ago. But anxiety by itself, in and of itself, tends to suggest that we look for worrisome thoughts, looks for things that are kind of evidence of failure, or we're so anticipating, again, failure, that we begin to kind of make that happen. Yeah, or you just kind of like, you see the future as failure, like it's going to happen. I'm afraid this thing's going to happen. Well, by being afraid that it's going to happen, which sounds like a worried person, you're already expecting something bad to happen. It's called anticipatory. But that's what a therapist would do then. They would challenge you and say, that's maybe an irrational thought. Can you see where that rational, irrational, rational, it may not really match up to reality. And ask the person to begin to work on modifying, changing the self-talk. And though self-talk might be a bit different than thinking, it's not a lot. Or you may argue, well, if you think, then it's going to have an element of self-talk attached to it. Not talking necessarily so much to me, but talking to yourself. But I'm watching you, and you may be talking to me at the same time that you're talking to yourself, but being the therapist, I can say, you know, I can even see where the things that we're talking about now, or this conversation, or these points, or these facts, you're still interpreting that negatively. And even if you should agree with me as a therapist, that I have the credibility, the psychotherapist, that I have the credibility that I'm pointing out as a good reference of objectivity or trying to see it objectively, more realistically, you may still think, but I can't change those. I feel like self-talk, as you were uh, talking about a moment ago, I feel like self-talk excuse me, can be really a make or break almost for just like anxiety or depression or just even confidence in that way. Because if you talk yourself down like, oh, I can't do this, I'm not good enough for it, or there's no way this can possibly work out, then it's probably, it's likely it could not happen. But if you talk yourself up, it's very likely it could happen. Make or break. It's a dialogue. You're right. I mean, it's a conversation. But you're continuously having it. And so if you're reliving things from the past that otherwise didn't turn out well, or you're anticipating things not turning out well, 
and you're constantly thinking about that and maybe again going back to that notion of a bit of obsessive compulsive whether it's with disorder or you're obsessing over something failures faults flaws or with obsessive compulsive personality you tend to be a bit directed toward trying to be perfect or you see things in these binary sort of ways either a perfect success and or once you think that way, you're going to set yourself up for assessing, self-assessment, self-appraisal. If it, you don't meet those high standards, you're going to be a perfect failure. But that's a constant conversation you're having with yourself. Yeah, it's just a back and forth constantly about that. And people sometimes stay inside, not only get inside their own head in that way, but stay inside their own head so much that if you're talking to them, it's more like you're talking at them. Yeah, because they're, they're continuing to have this conversation yeah, while you're trying to persuade them. And they're just kind of tuning. It's you unrealistic. Out. Yeah, they can just tune you out. Right, because they're self-absorbed. They're all caught up in what's going on inside of them. But that really does make them the challenge of psychotherapy very difficult. <laughs> because otherwise, how are you going to persuade your patient? When they're not even, like, you're just talking at them. Yeah, because they're not really engaging they're in, their, in, they're in the real-time conversation. Self-talk. Which is reality, which hopefully from that vantage point of a psychotherapist, we're going to see it objectively. We're going to point out what's valid, what's not valid in the way of not only their thoughts, but how it translates to actions and behaviors. If we problem-solve and we see that it's flavored with all this negativism, we're going to take that on and say, wait a minute... I think you're making a faulty, a distortion, a cognitive distortion. You're coming to a faulty conclusion. And maybe you should change it. But if they're not really interacting with you, or if they are, it's only in a very sort of superficial sort of dimension, then you're probably not going to be able to really help them to move off that point. So it does. It takes a lot of investment. And it takes probably not only a singular voice as with the psychotherapist, but we probably try to establish a support system that's very realistic. You know, oftentimes that's where a lot of this all-or-none thinking comes from too is socialization. People are surrounded socially by a core group of people, it's cultural, that may set unrealistic, unhealthy standards. And then as you're growing up, as you're maturing, as you're developing, particularly childhood, adolescence, into young adulthood, but it can be sustained in, in adulthood, even all the way up to advanced stage. If you're in a, a perfectionistic sort of world, a materialistic world, that can't see any of those sort of in-between points, that doesn't allow there to be negatives, but flavors it more so with the positives, you're probably going to continue to be reinforced. One single voice, the psychotherapist, is not probably going to be able to change you. I feel like also just if you're if you're that way whenever you're younger or like you're in that kind of perfectionist state, especially whenever you're like in a younger phase in your life or your brain's still developing, it can really stick with you through through your life as we discussed uh, a week ago or so on our last podcast. It can really just stick with you because the brain is still developing and it's just those like lifelong experiences or what you start with in your early life can really stick with you throughout your whole life. Yes, and, and that's really what socialization is about, is to teach you, hopefully, to transmit whatever has been adaptive or learned to be adaptive or maybe even how to adapt onto your offspring, to your kids. 
And with that, then hopefully some sense of confidence, not failure identity, but confidence so that it doesn't become part of their personality to expect failure. But that is easier, I think, said than done. And then that's why we do psychotherapy. That's why people come to talk to someone such as myself is because I represent an opportunity for them to change the paradigm and hopefully because they've come to see me, they've identified that. They've begun to realize really in some ways not only a self-fulfilling prophecy, but they're kind of doing this to themselves. Yeah, yeah, it's true that if they get in that self-talk we were talking about earlier, it can really just be a make or break or it can really just kind of, you know, tear them down or or if they're lucky in a good case, it can build them up. If you have positive self-talk, and build you up, but it can also really just bring you down. I thought it interesting that as they were, um, again, reporting the results or the findings, the article, the author, I found it interesting that they spoke of forums. <laughs> when, when I use the word forum, what do you think of? Forum? I don't really know. It's not really a word I use super often or really, really see too yeah, often. Yeah, it's sort of like a uh, community, like social media. That's what I was saying. It's yeah. like a community, yeah. and there's others there, and a forum might represent either others who have some knowledge of, either by proximity of having it, by virtue of having it, and or by proximity of being close to someone who does have it, the condition, the disorder, and they mentioned too, anxiety and depression. And oddly enough, they said that the anxiety forum was probably more self-critical, more represented or reflected this all or none thinking trap than even the depression did. But the, the notion of it is, it's a social dynamic. Now hopefully within a forum, Somebody is going to, though, be identifying a positive or a way to change. And with that, though it may is maybe not a support group, as the article references it, but it made me think of support groups. And even as I was saying a moment ago, that it's hard for a singular voice. That's why, though, in a culture, if you grow up in a culture that's negative, if it's got all this socialization thing, dynamic going on, it may be really important to identify healthy social supports and not only individuals but groups where you're going to get positive messaging and and maybe not to the distortion of that you know so much that could be a distortion where it's too positive but at least somebody who does a pretty good job of being fair and balanced kind of neutral at the very least Although I would probably be inclined to think a little bit of flavor of optimism never hurt anybody. No. There's certainly no. enough in life. Optimism is always good to have. <laughs> enough in life. You could get pretty negative and sour on everything or pretty much anything that then could generalize to everything in your life. And so I think a little bit toward the optimism might not be a bad thing. Although, again, as we noted a few moments ago, too much of even that sets you up for failure because... The world is not perfect, and if that's what your optimism is, is a hope or dream that you're going to find perfection, oh, it's all going to work out, don't worry about it, which may be a true statement, right? Yeah, it could be. Uh... But at the same time, that's not a good way of, of maybe processing this. So with psychotherapy, we look at the combination of treating the support system, maybe it's to connect you with a support group, 
Maybe it's to do some sort of relational counseling or family therapy to change the, the primary support group, which is the family. Maybe it's relational in the sense that the significant other or others in your life has to be brought in. But I think it's a combination of individual and then social dynamic or work on those dynamics. And to, again, recognize this is not only an individual problem, but people who think negatively tend to hang out with other people who think negatively. It's kind of like the, almost like the forum idea. It's like you surround yourself with people that you're, you have similar like interests and yes. feelings with. And the way you look at life. And there's an old saying, misery loves company. And I think that's really applicable in this situation. So when we bring people in or people come in to see someone such as myself, that's the strategy. Now, we're never going to be dismissive entirely of the biochemistry, and I mentioned that earlier. They may have genetic predisposition to depression and anxiety. So there may be a need for medication, but that even so will be coordinated in a psychiatric sort of dimension. That's who prescribes the medicine, psychiatrists most often. But within that context, we'll try to coordinate that. If it's another provider, the psychiatrist will complement or try to complement what's going on in the psychotherapy. But we may do individual and family work and research evidence-based outcomes suggests that you get the best results when you combine the two. You do a medicine where it's appropriate or whereupon it's appropriate, but you also always do that in concert or conjunction with psychotherapy, talk therapy. Because really, the greatest thing that we can do is try to talk to ourselves in healthier ways, rational ways, adaptive ways, with a bit of optimism that goes along with it. Don't think of things in terms of it's either all or none. It's either a complete failure or a complete success. There's a lot of gray areas. But in the end, we win more than we lose as we adapt and we grow. We learn how to face conflicts, stress, stressors, the conflicts that are embedded in the stressors, the, the challenges is what I'm trying to get yeah, to like personal or with other people. Life, yeah. yeah, life challenges. It's all growth oriented. But to do that from the outside is sometimes necessary until the person begins to recognize how distorted their thinking really is and where those cognitive distortions really lie in terms of the overall paradigm and what we're trying to move it to. And the worst of all scenarios, again, is when the person maybe never did have a baseline of something positive. They just grew up with a lot of negativity. And it can really affect them in the future with all that negativity they've grown up with. Which, once again, doesn't mean that they're wrong in their appraisal of what life has been. But as long as they're expecting that to continue, even a 50-50 proposition. I, mean, I don't know if that's the, the right statistics, right? Uh, you got as much of a chance at winning as you do losing. But even if you take it in that kind of a context or see it within that kind of a, of a framework, they're already setting themselves up for failure because they're anticipating at least 70%, 80% of the time they're not going to win. They've actually change the odds which they're worse yes not because the odds are different or worse they just think they are they have yes yeah 
And then if they surround themselves with other people who think that way, it's easy to see why a people can get into this pattern in their life of not only negativity, but that self-fulfilling prophecy again, and not only take themselves down in their own thinking, but they can then contribute to the decline or the deterioration of others, which is which is not a good yeah, thing. That's not good, yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm not sure about you. I do not want to do that either. So, so when it comes to then, again, this idea of any sort of personal dimension, I think all of us have some of that. And so some of that's normal. When bad things happen, we start to think that way. Yeah, and but it's, it's normal. early identification, as in as soon as you recognize yourself falling in the trap. And if you are already deep into it, and you've surrounded yourself with all these individuals, or you're deep into some feelings of anxiety or depression or conditions of anxiety or depression, then to identify a positive resource or source for objectivity and encouragement becomes the only really way out of that. And that's why, once again, I want to encourage our listeners, if they've had any of that experience, particularly toward the negative, oh yes, they should seek out help. Yeah, just do what's best for you. <laughs> well, Get call some somebody. Yeah, call somebody. Seek a professional. Yeah. Uh, the core providers. Psychological counseling, psychotherapists, and with that, you may start with the medicine and the psychiatrist, and if you go there, they're going to, responsibly so, also encourage you to do the talk therapy, the psychotherapy. So, Sam. Yeah. I think you've told me that you don't think in all or none terms. Yes. <laughs> Good for you. I try. I sometimes fall into that trap myself, but... Never, ever, or always are kind of hallmarks of that. They, they are. Indeed. No one will ever love me, particularly if your self-esteem is, is poor. Yeah. It's probably good evidence you need some help. Yeah. That's what we try to do also on the podcast. Just take a moment to acknowledge that. These podcasts are, and I try to reference the best that yeah, I think. psychology today. That's available in terms of something that we can communicate easily. With our listeners, you don't have to be like you said an egghead. You said that a couple of podcasts ago, a PhD, to understand what we're talking there about. You go. Yeah. But it is PhD, it's evidence-based, but that's why we do this, is to try to help our listeners on the podcast to recognize some of the issues, to know how to get help and how to seek it out. So Sam, if they want help, they want assistance, you know what they could do? What can they do? They could come back and listen to the next podcast. Or they could seek treatment in their community. There's plenty of providers out there. Psychology Today actually has a directory that if you go online, there you go. they've already as, uh, assembled, there put together go. a network, so to speak, of providers. And they vet every one of them. And so that might be a good place to go as well. So I'm going to ask our listeners to join us again on the next podcast. Will you be back next time, Sam? I will be back. That's pretty optimistic. <laughs> so uh, it's in my gonna... future. Unless, unless you just get tired of me or our listeners get so tired of me that they just they must have a new person, then I'll be back. Well, and that's what we started out with, right? You're back. I'm, somehow I'm still here. So don't take so negatively, Sam. Uh, again, come join us again next time on Word with Dave Clay and Sam Clay. Thanks.